Welcome to Authority Optional, Leadership Beyond the Rulebook. In this episode, we're going to talk about intent, uh, specifically starting to build trust with teams. What kind of leader do you want to be? What's your intent? What's your why? What is your team's intent, your, your team members' individual intents? Enjoy the show. Powers. I'm Josh Lemansky. And uh, as as the intro implied, we are going to talk about intent today. We've kind of promised this from the last episode. Uh, this the 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 purpose of this essentially is to build trust, to begin the process of building trust. So understanding why somebody is doing something is super important to having them trust you. If they're willing to give you their why, it, it may take a couple of tries in some cases. You gotta Sometimes you got to crack that nut. But the thing that I think is important for us to start on is, well, I think we think is the important thing to start on is the why for yourself. Why are you leading? Want to kick us off? Yeah, I I think we focus so much on on intent without realizing it. Uh, When we look for a house, we look with a certain intent. We want to be in a certain neighborhood for a certain reason. Uh, We want it to have a certain aesthetic. We want to have the right bones for a house for the way we see it. Uh, When we parent, we we start with that intention of what kind of a person and human do we want to help to raise. And I don't think it's any different for this. You know, trust is the bedrock of any relationship. And what we're teaching here is relationship management and that style of being able to be connected with the people you work with and actually engage them in a way that taps into what they bring intrinsically to your team. And so you need to understand what your intent is behind how you want to run a team, lead a team, what your expectations are from them as far as their own independence, their autonomy, and what they'll bring to the table for the success of your team. And if you're not, um, not thinking about intent to me is no different than leaving the house and getting in the car and not being sure where you're going. You're just just getting in the vehicle. Just going for a Sunday drive, perhaps. let's, uh, Let's not go for a Sunday drive. Any corporation is going to pull the cards of you're going to have goals, you're going to have metrics that you need to hit. You know, there's a million ways to measure that. But in in the end run, your intent is the goal of who you want to be as a leader and how you want to run a team. And it's critical to establish that up front. And then more critically, be consistent. Because if, if it's fluff, if it's not what you mean, if it's not who you are or what you intend, trying to become that leader... People will see right through that and you're going to lose trust and you're you're not going to grow. And you can recover from things like that if you're truthful and you have a growth mindset. Know your intent when you start and success is manifesting what your intent will be for your team, just like it is to find the house, build the house, make the house beautiful, get on the road, follow the map that you set out. And courses may change and paint colors may alter. But the intent... We're going to drown in this analogy. Yeah. The intent is still uh, so critically important. All right. So let's start with why are you a leader? Um, the, the question that I think is important to ask, any, any leader is important to ask yourself is, was it purposeful? Did you, did you get pushed into this position? Are you a victim of the Peter Principle, which if you're not familiar with, you basically get promoted out of your league. So a very classic example 
that we've seen dozens and dozens of times is a really good salesperson that gets promoted to lead the team of salespeople and they're just out of their depth. It doesn't, it's not a, it's not even a judgment. It just, somebody thought it would be a good idea and they go, you know, will it be more money? And if it's going to be more money, like that's another good thing to consider. So are you, are you pushed up out of your depth? Are you in it for the pay? Are you in it for the authority? Are you in it for development? I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but it's, it's good to know where you're at. Just, just answer the question for yourself. You, you, you'll know, (laughs) you'll know based on how you feel about the position when you get it, you'll know based on how people treat you, if you're treating them the right ways, or if you're treating them in ways that don't agree, they don't agree with. Once you know, I mean, this is, this is my estimation. Once you know where you're at, then you can decide where do you want to be? So we're, we're coming back to the title of the episode, essentially intent. What kind of leader do you intend to be? Now there's really, there's really kind of, I would say there's two, two major categories. There are people who are in leadership for the authority. Um, we'll call it three accidental. So Peter principal, you were pushed up out of your depth. You don't know what you don't know about leadership. And then you get into it and you realize, ah, shit, maybe this is not what I want to do. You're in it for the authority. You like being in charge of other human beings or other, other things perhaps. And then there's in it for the development. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a right answer. <laughs> there is one right answer in my opinion. And I will defend this all day long. There is one right answer to be in leadership and that is to develop people. You can be in it to develop yourself. In fact, you should be. That's one of my core principles. Always be developing, always be growing. Either of those other two answers, either accidental or because you like being in charge of people, fuck off. (laughs) If you just like being in charge of people, you're doomed to fail. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that person. That's That's a narcissist or that is somebody who is deeply insecure and the only way that they feel good about themselves is by reigning over other people. It makes them feel good to do that you can smell them a mile away. Yeah. You always know when people are leading from a place of insecurity because they're either overbearing, they're usually micromanagers, they don't trust you, they, they're, they're not, they'll never trust you. Yeah. And I've worked for and by many people who are in it for one of those two wrong reasons. Has anybody not worked for the manager who maybe even pulled the, the well, do it the way I'm asking you to do it because... I'm your manager and I'm asking you to do it <clears throat> with no why, with no reason, even, even if it, if it seems off. And so I would even go up a level. A lot of times the salesperson who's incredibly efficient as a sole contributor and who's doing great work, potentially inheriting a team, you, the skill set is not the same. Being able to influence others as opposed to having the control of doing it yourself is, is totally different. And, uh, You've probably all been in a team where you don't have that relationship trust and you're second guessing even what your manager's intent might be. Mm-hmm. One thing that's beautiful about approaching management with a specific intent is you can share that transparently with people. You can let them know that for you to be successful, you need them to be successful when you're training them, when you're developing them, when you're being transparent and giving them sometimes hard whys. It's all for the purpose of developing them as leaders. I kind of look at it in the the duality of, are you a manager who's there to control the situation and keep the car on the rails? Or are you there to develop people and actually get them to turn their own light on and to become a leader? That development piece, uh, leaders self-lead. We go out and we seek out forums like this, discussions, trainings, books, 
uh, because we want to get better at helping people become better. And, and that's, that's, I know where we're both coming from. The authority piece, if you're only in it for the authority, you might recognize um, things, burnout, burnout factories, high attrition rates in your organizations. You know, that's, that's a whole different topic of discussion when we talk about attrition, but this will feed into it because you specifically with intent are building a culture for a reason. If you're a leader and nobody ever tells you any of your ideas suck, you're probably in it for the authority. They're afraid. I'm going to jump ahead again. What kind of team do you want to have? Do you want to have a team that wants for your success too? Or are they afraid of you? If you just look around, if you, you can be honest with yourself, here's the deal. Let me finish that sentence. You can just be honest with yourself and answer the question. If you don't know, ask. And you might have to ask a few different ways, a few different people, a few different times before somebody trusts you enough to go, well, I'm not, I'm not sure why you're a leader or whatever. If you get a, if you get a hedged answer, you kind of have your answer. It's the same thing. Like if you, if you look around and everybody's an asshole, you're the asshole. (laughs) If you look around and you can't figure out, you know, if nobody will answer your question because they're afraid, that's why. And fear is temporary. Can you get stuff done with fear? Absolutely. They will hate you for it. They will dread coming to work. They will find their way out or they will find a way to do their minimum. And you, and you're going to constantly be at work working because they're going to phone it in as much as possible. And you're going to have to lord over them to make sure that they're producing anything other than the minimum. You're leading by fear. If you feel like you have to be on your people in order to get production, you're leading by fear. Yeah. I want to go back one step to say, If you have found yourself in a leadership position and you didn't suspect that you were going to be in that leadership position, it doesn't necessarily mean you should duck out. You can find joy. You can find satisfaction. You can can run a good team eventually. Just because you're not a good leader right now or you didn't get into leadership for what I would consider to be the right reason doesn't mean you can't change. You You can be any of those versions and turn into a leader who is into developing developing other people. Don't lose heart just because I have strong opinions about it. You, you may be here in this forum because of the fact that you've realized what you've been doing for the last six months or a year is not developing trust and not developing a sense of team. Maybe you're tired of recruiting and hiring and training and starting over again, which that that's just a part of management. You just want them rather than leaving because you're the asshole. You want them leaving because they're promoting out to become your peer. Yeah. Let me try to convince you if you are, if you're in it for the authority, anybody out there who's listening to this, that, you know, if you're being honest with yourself and you're like, yeah, I kind of like being in charge of people. Like, that's okay. It's okay. It's okay to be the issue. So long as you now hold yourself accountable, own it, and then go forth and fix it. You can change to anything you want to change. It's still a growth mindset. Yes. Just acknowledge that essentially you've made a mistake or that this may not be the optimal way. So let me, let me sell you on why being in it to develop others is the optimal way. We, we're going to talk about in a minute how important it is for us to be connected, but there's something else that is crucial to humans. We grow or we die. That's the day you stop growing. That's essentially you're signing your death warrant. You want people to grow. And if you, that's grow, by the way, another word for development. That's, that's all I'm talking about. So if you are in it to help other people get what they want, they will intrinsically want to give it back to you. Um, I'm going to say it. I think I said in the last episode, if you haven't read it, if you are into leadership and you want to know why we as humans love it, leaders eat last. Um, that is from Simon Sinek, 
he talks about the biology of it, why we are hardwired to want leaders. If you go back far enough, when we had leaders in our tribes, the leader was the person who protected the tribe. They went into war first. They went into the hunt first. They they were probably bigger and stronger, and so they were more capable. But the we as the tribe were willing to give them you know, have them eat first or, or give to them of our, of our tribal things because they had a, they had a job to do and they did their job. And as long as they did their job to protect us and make us feel safe and secure, we were happy to let them keep doing that because otherwise the job would be on us. And if we're smaller, weaker, slower, that's going to suck for the tribe. If I'm in charge of, of the tribe now, all of a sudden, and I don't have the capacity or ability or desire <laughs> to want to give to the tribe. So fast forward, if you very purposefully show others that you care about what they want and care about helping them go about getting what they want, it's going to mirror back to you. Here's where we're going to talk about just a little bit. When I call it a bulletproof team, these are people that will kick ass whether you're there or not, whether you're watching or not, whether you're checking in or not, they will simply kick ass. And that's a bulletproof team. Nothing will shake them. Something will come down from corporate, from up on high, the C-suite, whatever you want to call it. Shit will hit the fan and they'll just, they'll just shoulder up and power through it. Their only, their only question is what's the plan? Yeah. What's the plan? And, and by the way, this has some, some nice ancillary benefits. You can get a good enough team going that if you don't have to work to make sure they're okay, you can do other things. You can help free up their time. You can, they can help free up your time. The other things can be whatever. Well, I, I think from an intent standpoint as a leader, I'm always going to come into a new team or a new situation with a few things that are the same. We talked a little bit last week about getting to know them and for them to get to know you. Uh, and then the true intent, the long game, the infinite game intent here is developing leaders to become your peers. They can fill the slot when you're not there, um, they can take over meetings, they can do their own trainings. You're going to put them in positions of authority to train one another to develop a certain skill set. The whole goal behind that is that they're that well-oiled machine that you hear people talk about. What that frees you to do is part of the expectations we talked about. If you have a bulletproof team and they're doing everything that they need to be to be successful, you're hitting your metrics, what What's the benefit in that for them? What do you give them? Is it things like, you know, time away from regular duty in one-on-ones? Is it time to develop those extra skill sets? Is it projects where they can actually take on a leadership role, prove what they can do, and then have an anecdote to talk about when they go into that next job interview? Because the goal isn't just to keep somebody close and hold them in and, and keep them, I would even say, keep them down by keeping them on your team. Yep. For me, the intent is to connect their skill set, what they have, what they don't have to what that dream job is, the why or the what do you really want to do for life. And whatever time frame I have with them, if that's four months, six months, a year, two years, that's what my time frame is spent doing. If I have to spend my time with them on basic skills and skill or will or lowering over them because of the fact that they can't do the work, even at that, I'm always going to be coming from a place of connection and support where maybe it's not the right role. Maybe it doesn't fit their skill set. Maybe I need to actually and have help them look for the job that actually is going to be fulfilling where they can flourish 
I was talking about ancillary benefits before. Just real yeah. quick, I have a story about this. We did we did a reshuffle on our team. We were forced to you know move people around, and somebody on my team went to one of my peers, and this peer had been hearing me talk about this style of leadership for years, and it always you know his reaction was always it sounds good, but he could not really get himself out of the style that he was into, which was much more authority based. So my guy went to his team. I had convinced the peer to give it a shot. Once he had one of mine, one of my trained people on his team, over a course of time with conversations with this individual, at some point he took a vacation and he came back and he said, Max, this is literally the first vacation I have ever had in my life that I did not think about work. I think you might be right. Do you think, because you created a team that doesn't need you, it's that's that's optimal, by the way. That sounds bad. If you're looking at it from a certain angle, you know, well, my team doesn't need me. Just because they don't need you doesn't mean they don't want you. At some point, if you've done it right, you are you your whole job becomes the the keeper of the culture. Yeah. You're just making sure that the culture stays intact and you're doing whatever other jobs your your boss wants you to do. But as a leader, you don't want to have to be bossing people all day. Yeah. If you do want that, go away. Like this, <laughs> please either be convinced or, or stop listening. <laughs> Cause if you're, if you love bossing people around, that's, that's not, that's not productive. Nobody wants that. Nobody. Do you want to be bossed around? That's all you ever have to ask yourself. Is this, a, is what I'm doing to this individual? Would I like it if it was being done to me? We learn this as children doing to others, right? Yeah. If you don't want to be micromanaged, don't micromanage. And by the way, Again, be honest with yourself. I've heard way too many micromanagers look me in the eye and say, I don't micromanage. Bullshit. If your people were willing to be honest with you, you'd know this. Not only can I do the same job as you, I can do it better and faster and more efficient and I have more time on my hands and my team doesn't want to leave. Your team wants yeah. to leave. Your team struggles to get things done. I, let's, let's just look at the facts. My team is better at this than your team and... My team is kicked back and relaxed and not stressed out. Your team is barely getting anything done and their shoulders are hunched and their muscles are knotted and they're sweating bullets all the time. We're doing the same exact job. Yeah. We were in a giant contact center. <laughs> this this presents a, an interesting opportunity for a chicken walk that reiterates this story. Right. So um, working with Max as a leader and with nine other managers, so I'm, I'm one of 10 at one point, Max designed that culture. After a couple of years, it just simply becomes ingrained. And and I'm bringing this up because a lot of times, well, I don't have that manager. I can't I can't do what you're talking about. I can't lead because my manager has expectations. But you can when you have a connected and engaged team. And here's how. The example would be one of my peers. I'm his backup. So if something truly hits the fan that that somebody on the team who's in a leadership role while they're on vacation, let's say, for a, a one or two week vacation. Some of you might be going, a two week vacation? How, how in the world do you do that without you know 80 hours before and 100 hours when you get back to clean everything up? I'm thinking in particular of Scott. Yep. Goes on vacation, I'm his backup. First of all, almost nothing hits the fan that would be at the level that requires a manager to step in. And that is manager in title. I would have to sign something or handle a disciplinary action while he's out or something along those lines. Right. So the leaders on the team who are taking care of any of the internal pieces of 
coaching each other, one-on-ones, giving people the opportunity to one-on-one with each other and share how they're successfully uh, doing their roles. That constituted a situation where there was so much confidence in being able to go on some sort of a break that one time in particular I'm thinking of, Scott literally came back, checked those emails that had myself or his other peer because we didn't over overlap on every day of the week. And if we were on those emails, he deleted them all out with the assumption that we fulfilled our intent, which was to back him up so he could have a vacation. There's a support structure in here. So this isn't necessarily all just for your employees. That benefit rolls back uphill. And if you can go to your manager who maybe doesn't support you at that level and you can say, my peer X is going to handle this and this while I'm gone. These are the leaders on my team. If you have any questions, they have access to the reports. They'd be able to give you a readout. You'll know exactly what's going on while I'm out. I don't take my computer with me because once your team is able to handle it themselves, there's this ancillary benefit. They're growing and you actually know that they can handle it while you're gone. Back to trust. Trust is the foundation of every relationship you've ever had. Not false trust, not like well, we talked about any, last week. Any good or productive relationship you've <clears throat> right. ever had. You can have bad relationships. Yeah, it's, it's not based in what we both don't like, what we dislike, who we hate. Um, it's based in, we want to make each other better. Right. Um, if you have a team of 10 people and I've, I've said this a million times directly to my team's faces, if I give away all the energy I have with the intent of building them up and developing them, if only one of them out of the 20 people I'm managing gives me that energy back because of their success and their excitement and their engagement, that's enough to be cyclical. But when you do that for 15 or 20 people and you have a third of your team that's engaged and energized and they're sharing stories of their success and how they helped somebody else, that feeds on itself in a way that it's not even cyclical anymore. You're getting back more energy than you're ever putting out. Um, that's where there's a crossover. Um, your intent becomes the reality and, and now you're living in a situation where you can try things, you can be creative, you can be innovative, you're developing trust with your manager because your team is hitting its metric marks and they're growing and you're turning out leaders and you're promoting people out of your team. That's actually a nice segue. So we started with your intent, whatever whatever <coughs> your intent to be as a leader, what kind of leader you intend to be, however you want to word it. Now let's talk about their intent yeah. because that is... Now that you know who you are and what you're about, now you need to go find out who they are and what they're about. And um, this is something that I'm this I'm going to give you full credit. This is a, a phrase from Josh is you have to embrace them where they're at. And that means a couple of different things in, in, in various situations. For starters, you will have people that don't wish to progress. They're happy with their job, especially if they're happy working for you and you are creating a safe and secure environment, a place where they feel like if they want to grow, they can. Um, they're good at their job. They don't. They, they, there are people who are like, "I'm all I want is no stress." And once I have that foundation, I, I'm not stressed out anymore. The only things that are stressing me are the things that would stress anybody. You know, like we're like I mentioned, we were in a contact center. Asshole customers call sometimes, and we'll say customers who are act like assholes. I don't want to label anybody. Um, 
but aside from that stuff, there were people who just wanted to be on the phones. I, I had a couple when I had bankers directly reporting to me. I still remember their names. I, like, I know these people. And they were just like, I'm good. Like, you don't have to turn me into a team lead. You don't have to make sure I'm going off to this other department. I like working for you. I'm happy doing what I do. I, I, my schedule is steady and consistent and predictable. And I like that and leave me alone. And like, great. All you have to do is keep kicking ass and I will leave you alone. All you can stand. And then there are going to be people who want to rocket ship to the top of the corporation or to go be a dental assistant or you know, an engineer, whatever. And this is one stop along the way. In fact, I'm going to let you tell that story because I think it's a brilliant way yeah, of that's funny. find out what their intentions are. And you might have to do a little digging to get them past whatever they think is the corporate line. Many, many people will giant will join giant corporations thinking that these people expect me to eat, sleep and breathe this company, bleed this company. And you should be the boss that goes, I don't care if you want to be here forever. Generally speaking, what we what I always used to tell people is I, I want a year. It's called time and title. Give me your time and title. So give me a year. And if during that year you decide you want to keep going with this corporation and progress or whatever, or if you decide you really love this job and working for me and you want to stay, whatever you decide, I will support it. I'm just asking for your year, which is what the company would generally ask for anyway. And it's also, that's enough time to decide all the things that you want to do inside or outside of that company. So tell your story. So uh, I have a new employee comes out of training. You know, it was six to eight weeks for training with the the bank that we worked for. They come out on the floor. They're, of course, nervous. They're they're still taking their their first few calls and, and getting used to it. And we have our first one on one. And, you know, my intent as their new leader, because I've just inherited them out of this class is to get to know them. And it turns out this person is in school for dental hygienist to to become a dental hygienist. So uh, I point blank asked her with a giant smile on my face. I said, so how long does school last? She's like, well, it's three years. And I said, cool. So I have three years to help you learn where that interface is between customer service and influencing people and how that can help you while you have your fingers in somebody's mouth when you go off to do what what you want to do and her look on her face was trepidatious like she was like what's going on like are there trap are there cameras on me and i looked at her and as soon as she looked back to me i was like no really actually i i'm here for you what you want to do is is the place where we're gonna meet and intersect go be who you need to be but while you're here while you're on the phone making the money doing this job, be as good as you can at it and let's work on developing skills that will translate to, be, there is nothing where customer service, by the way, or you know, we can call it, you're always selling something. It doesn't matter whether it's yourself. Um, it doesn't matter whether it's an image that's false or accurate on Instagram. Um, we're, all, we're all in that mode of selling the, the message, the idea, the, the token, the trinket, the relationship, but in this case, the, the truth for me is wherever we intersect, um, you know, maybe we'll get into connectedness at some point. It's, it's one of my top five. I'm just here to give away what knowledge I have. I, I crossed that bridge a long time ago where, you know, money's important. It pays bills. But going back to your story about people who simply do the job at a really high level, how dare we as a culprit culture have a phrase like up or out? Yeah. What, what about somebody who, in this case... Uh, one of my employees had a nine-year-old and a 12-year-old, and he had enough seniority built up. He got to go to everything. 
He was off at three o'clock in the afternoon. He never missed a recital, a game. The money was enough. And we had that discussion. He's like, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. I want to be able to show up. And mm-hmm. I was like, cool. We'll talk about this again when your youngest turns 18, maybe. Yeah. Because he had an amazing skill set. He was actually a manager for another organization in the past. And he's like, yeah, that's reasonable. I never talked to him about that again. But he was also a leader on the team, somebody who hit his metrics. He knew what he needed to do to just keep the life that he wanted to have for the love of God, let that be okay. It's none of your business. Um, your business is one of support, uh, to give people what they need to thrive. And in that moment, it was being off at three o'clock every day so that he could be a dad first and everything else came second. Cause this is all part of getting to know somebody embracing them where they're at, but then helping them be the best version of themselves. No matter what, you still want people to grow and develop. So just because they don't want to be a leader in this organization doesn't mean they can't grow and develop. My version of it was I, I got to this department. I was an interim leader. I was not any, even an official leader yet, but they wanted me to lead a group of people. Same thing. It, it was it would have been the Peter principle had I been pushed out of my depth, but I wasn't. So lucky for me, lucky for them. They asked me to be in charge because I was so good at the job these people were all doing. And by the way, I'd only been in that department for a couple of months. And these people were seasoned vets. They had all been there for a couple of years. They were they were better at the job techno- technologically or technically better than me, but I was crushing my metrics. I was just better overall at handling customers than they were. So they, I got asked to lead. Most of these people were going to school for some kind of medical certification. I would say as a ratio, seven of nine of them were wow. going to be a nurse, going to be an RN, going to be... A PA, whatever. They were all going to medical. So and so this was a swing shift. They're doing their school during the day. They're coming to work at night. God knows when they were sleeping. And they were not crushing their metrics, which is why they were not up around talking to people like I was because I was crushing metrics. So when I was, but I, again, I was asked to help motivate them to do better. And here was the conversation I had with them. I'd say like, do you want to be doing this? And they're like, well, no, of course not. I I'm doing this cause I have to, cause I got to pay the bills cause I'm going to school. So you're going to be in the medical field when you graduate. Yes, absolutely. Will you waste any time here at this job before you go into the medical field? No, absolutely not. As soon as I get a medical job, poof, like a puff of smoke, I'm out of here. Okay. Do you think that you are doing your best at this job? No, of course not. Like again, I'm, I have to pay the bills and this job is fine. It doesn't suck, but it's not great. It sounds like a why are you here conversation. It, it, it should have been. Um, I, I, should, I didn't know that back then. I, I should have started with that. But instead, what I was, I, what I, the direction I went was, when you go be a medical professional, are you going to half-ass it? Well, no. Are you going to show up when you feel like it? Are you going to you know, sometimes bandage the patient? Are you going you know, to half-ass it? Well, no, of course not. So you're going to work your ass off when you're a medical professional. Do the right thing by people. Yeah. Why aren't you practicing right now? You're practicing sucking right now. You're half-assing this job. Do you think that it's suddenly going to turn into this majestic discipline when you leave these walls and you go be a medical profession? No. And by the way, since you're going to be out of practice for working hard and kicking ass, you're going to get your ass kicked by your leaders who are there to save people's lives. Yeah. If you're half-assing it, you will be out. They, there's, I, I hope in hospitals, yeah. God willing, I hope <laughs> in hospitals they will kick your ass out if you're half-assing it. But that was how I got them to do better for themselves. Like, 
practice kicking ass now at a job that you could do in your sleep yeah. so that when you go do a job that I assume is much harder and requires much more brain power, you'll, you'll, those muscles will already be developed. I'm, I'm rethinking my comment from a moment ago where that's not a why are you here conversation. This mm. is a values conversation. Yes. And it's, it's really interesting if part of your intent um, in knowing people's strengths, what they're about, why they do what they do, uh, it always comes back at you. Building trust and building connection, it's always going to be at some level a value, uh, a values conversation. Right. And that's the good stuff. That's the aggregate stuff. You know, you, you want to save people's lives. Banking isn't going to save people's lives. Working for a utility isn't going to save people's lives. You know, yeah. there there are very few instances and there's things that might tie in here and there peripherally. But when we talk about values, you know, I know our backgrounds. My, my dad was a corn farmer he, until he was 21 years old. He worked on a 200 acre corn farm for his father in Iowa. He didn't know how to sit still. Therefore, he would not let me sit still. I very much enjoy sitting still. <laughs> but it's something where when you have that work ethic and you can tie into that sense of values about pride or grit, these are the things that connect us. We want to work with and for and in support of both organizations and people who believe what we believe. It's another Simon uh, Sinek reference. When you go look at the Golden Circle, go watch his TED Talk video about the golden circle and why. And this is where we tap into each other at a true level. You know, the transparent conversation of, you know, you're leaving in three years. I'm not going to try and stop you. But on the flip side of that, what can you learn here? What mm. can you learn about banking or finance? Maybe you can learn things about how to invest your money when you're a doctor and you're making a quarter of a million dollars a year so that you, you know, can build something that lasts. Yep. There's there's a million different ways to look at it, but those values, that's the fun shit. It is the fun shit. Yeah. Um, do we want to do our stories about how we got into leadership or why why we chose that path? Sure. You want, you want me to yeah, go ahead. dive in? Kick us off. It, it definitely, it was a situation where, you know, as a salesperson and, and being good at it, and I was good at it because of the fact that I, I think I actually cared about customers and clients, um, and I was really trying to do what was in their best interest. So maybe I wasn't the top salesperson because there were lines that I wasn't willing to cross, but I also had a lot of referrals and, and that type of thing. But the long and short is at some point they're like, hey, you're really good at this. You know, we'd like you to teach other people how to do this. So we're going to make you a manager and you're going to be the weekend manager or you're going to lead the you know, as an assistant manager and your job is to train new salespeople and to work with them. Again, that that doesn't mean you're an unbelievable manager or relationship builder. You have a skill set. What works for me might not work for somebody else. And it takes years to figure that out. But what happened for me was I was in a position as a subject matter expert to where I had to develop a curriculum. And I ended up training uh, for uh, the local phone company here in Idaho. I ended up training over a two and a half to three year period, over 400 new people coming in. And I called, called it the sales arc. And it was around this new product that we were bundling in with phone service. Um, it was television service. And really breaking that down. But the, the part where it became a light for me was training people. And when they were successful and they they saw if, if I learned new things, new tricks, ways that work for me that might not, there's some people who can do things I absolutely can't do. They're comfortable with, I don't want to say putting on a persona, but the way that some people can talk to people and it's just, you know, 
a gift from the universe, seeing other people start to succeed and recognizing my role in giving them those tools to succeed, it lit something and it started something else. And so I was almost always a manager wherever I worked, but then that idea of why I wanted to be a manager and it wasn't always because it's more money or more responsibility or any of that. It was, I like helping people and I like seeing that light turn on. And what I found was my intent for wanting to do it. Mm-hmm. When I help somebody and they say thank you or they're successful and I feel that energy, that's that's that thing of going to work and doing what I'm good at and what I enjoy and what fulfilling to me And so you go into work and you're doing that fulfilling work. It's not work anymore. It's different. Yep. Mine was way back in 1999, my first official leadership job. And essentially the reason I took the job was I worked for a boss. I'll always remember he was, it turns out he later became my kickboxing instructor. He introduced himself as I'm a working boss. What that means is I will never ask you to do something that I would not or have not done ever. And you will often see me doing the same he didn't have to. He could have been walking around and organizing, you know, plans and whatever. But we were we were hauling freight. He hauled freight. Like we just he did all the same stuff. And I thought, well, that seems like a really good way. I loved working for him. One of my one of my all time favorite bosses. I loved working for him. And so when the option came up, he he went to another department and he told me he's like, you should, you know, you should go for it. And I was like, I think I can do what he does because I like it so much. So I'll just duplicate it basically. So I took the job. And I was immediately in charge of a bunch of thugs, like the old, the old team that he used to work for, or used to work with him rather, they all followed him to the other department. So I had to hire a bunch of people where they got hired without me. And I was, it was a bunch of thugs, man. They, they just, they didn't want to be there. They were otherwise unemployable. I, I, I always, I will always remember walking by these guys. And every time I caught them not doing anything, like just sitting around, sitting on somebody's counter, chatting up one of the ladies in the other departments, I'd be like, what's, what's going on? Every time I'm on my dime. Okay, you're on your like tenth dime today. Can you get some work done? So I was I was cutting my teeth. I was brand new in official leadership position, so I had a lot to learn. But I ended up hiring this guy Justin. He was my hire, um, and he was smart and he picked it up and he absolutely thrived in the environment I wanted to create, which is I'm going to show you how to do it and I'm going to get the hell out of your way. And if you need anything, you come get me. And he thrived. He he launched quickly. There was a interim. There there was an intermediary position between you know sole contributor and leadership. He applied for it. He was newer than anybody else on the team. He got the job. They were all pissed off about it. And I was like, he outperforms you guys like five to one. Like there's no question. And there was a couple things I learned. One is sometimes in order to work through a difficult team, they eventually got good. Uh, all together, they eventually got good. But I needed to spot and and groom a superstar. And so that was one of the things I learned is that sometimes a superstar can carry a bad team into a good team, at least with help. They, they can help do it. They, they can't do it alone. If you're not leading and you're counting on the superstar to do everything, you're going to fail anyway. But all of the work that I was putting into turning these guys from thugs into decent humans and, and you know reliable employees having somebody come in that just blew past them and did it well and was respectful to them. He he never, he's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. We also became friends. And I discovered at that moment that you can be friends with people who are on your team. 
you just have to know how to so how to how to dissociate, how to separate church and state. Essentially, yeah. when we were outside of those walls, we were friends. When we were inside those walls, I was his boss. He had a job to do. I had a job to do. My job was to help him make sure he was doing his job to the best of his ability. His job was inventory and whatever, and, and all of you know whatever that, that part doesn't matter. But I learned a bunch of stuff because of this guy Justin, and I just went, oh, I can always do this. This this is. He made it worthwhile. Those other guys were a bunch of work. You know, it just, it was, it was rough going for a long time. And then this guy came along and I was like, oh, this is what it can be like. And clearly there are other humans in the world that are willing to do any kind of job. So that's, that, that sealed it for me. Like this guy showed me what it could be like. And I was so happy to watch him develop and move on into leadership. And then eventually, I think he ended up leaving, well, we all ended up leaving the company. It was Sears. <laughs> Um, cause I don't think Sears exists anymore. Maybe they do. I don't know. That one got closed. I'll say that. Yeah. It's interesting too, because it kind of ties back into when you, when you're, when you're working from a place of intent and you're building a specific culture and you know, you as a leader know what kind of team that you want, because you're a facet of that as well, as far as building that relationship and having trust, you need to be able to trust them. They need to be able to trust you. Um, it's, it's, there's a balance in there where I say, you know, that the aggregate where you're meeting in the middle. Some of the things that I'm hearing coming out of that experience are sometimes people who have skills, but they don't apply them. They're hard to get through to. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, when we talk about different strengths, I know you have competition. Mm -hmm. A lot of people do. They see somebody else who's been there for a shorter amount of time. They know full well that that person has a skill set that they're utilizing and that they're 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 developing, they're fulfilling more potential. They know full well. And so when that person gets promoted and they're like, I've been here longer, you really should be better at what you're doing. Let's let's have a discussion. I, I think you might be right. I think you probably should be in that line. What do you feel like is missing that that maybe they were doing that the people who hired them for that that upper position saw in them that they're not seeing in you and let's let's build. Let's work on it. What I just did was I asked a really awkward question, but <laughs> I'm going to meet you where you're at and if that's what you want, let's do that. Let's let's close that skill gap to get there. And it's amazing what happens. You're talking about having a couple of superstars. Superstars are always going to leave. They're going to become that next manager. They're going to move on to another company. They're going to take other opportunities. Really successful managers bring up the base level of the team. And you do that through trust. If you're lucky enough to have people on your team that have a strength of responsibility, that is something that is so priceless because they see what's happening and they feel a responsibility to their peers in this context of team and culture to be successful. You'll know you're doing it right when somebody comes onto your team and they're an underperformer and they have skills and people are sitting with them and mentoring them and training with them and the team takes care of the cultural pieces where you don't have to do anything at all because your team steps in and goes, hey, wait a minute, that's not how we do things here. Let me, let me show you a better way. And now you, again, you've got this machine that's capable and you're going to have leaders at all these different levels, some that are capable of leading a full team, some that are just learning how to lead themselves. And that's okay too. Uh, what's not okay is that that person who's constantly undermining in a great team and in a great culture, the team will cut them out and eat them up. They'll probably leave just because it's, you know, it's not a good job fit. Yeah. 
that is a definitely a good sign of a good culture. Uh, I'm pretty sure you even heard this. I used to tell people when they first came to my team, regardless of the position, whether they were joining me as a leader or when I had sole contributors reporting directly to me, I would ask them like what their expectations are. And the only time that I ever needed to push back a little bit against their expectations, if they weren't ridiculous, because everybody can have some ridiculous ones, but they would say, well, what I'm hoping for is, you know, some really good training from you. And I said, well, let me, let me show you, let me tell you how I roll. I'm going to make sure that you have the time off that you want. I'm going to make sure that you're supported. I'm going to make sure that the job is as you want it to be to the best of your ability. I'm going to make things really easy for you, but I'm not going to teach you how to do the job. I'm going to send you to the wolf pack to teach you how to hunt. When you need something, you can come to me, but my team is going to show you how to do this job. They're much better at it by now than I am. And there's many of them. There are, there are nine other people that you can go talk to that will, show you exactly how to do this and they probably you get to pick your favorite way since i'm the kind of leader that creates an environment where if they have a way of doing thing that works better for them then i'm going to let them do it you're probably going to see three or four different ways to do this one thing and you get to pick your favorite or create your own version once you've seen how everybody does it i had one guy that we called him triple check that wasn't for everybody not everybody wanted to do everything three times but this guy was efficient enough that was his style we called him triple check that's just as an example of trust. I had trust in my team to train the people. So we're going full circle back to the beginning here. I had trust in my team to get this new person on board better than I could by myself. Yeah. I experienced that firsthand with the peers that I had on the, on the team that you ran because I'm, I'm new to an organization. I've never taken a phone call for that organization. And now I have to lead 23 people. And I think we mentioned last week the the context of that conversation and imposter syndrome. It's like, you know, the one thing I'm nervous about, I've led teams, I'm, I'm confident in that, you know, I'll learn the ropes and I can help people develop from wherever they're at, but I've never actually done the job. And there's that, that balance of that immediate trust. Well, he knows what we're going through. He understands uh, how this works. And I went to Max and I was asking him about some specifics in, in learning the platforms and some of the systems he hadn't done that piece of the job for years at that point. And we had this conversation. It's like in, in a couple of years, everything changes. It all evolves. And you sent me to members of the, the team, uh, my peers, this person's excellent at organization. This person organizes email like nobody I've ever seen. This person runs down their metrics and can show you what to look for in the metrics. And guess what? I had multiple mentors that were my peers immediately and and it's not the kind of thing where you're handing off something or handing off work that was an opportunity for my peers to be able to say you know Lemansky came in and he was brand new and they had a hand in the training and the leadership process of my development that's an anecdote that they get to take when they go to a regional sales manager's position or if they're trying to take a CSM role customer service manager apologies that's the good stuff. That's where somebody goes and, you know, let's say that it's that next level in leadership for us it, from a banker. It would have been becoming a banker coach where your job is to be on the phones when it's really busy. The rest of the time you were mentoring other people and training them all over the center, you know, not on your team. And it's those stories where they come and they're like, well, what experience do you have mentoring others? I put people in that same position on my team, the same way Max put my peers in that position at a, at a management level. You want to do that for your people. It builds engagement. It builds connection. It built trust 
in a much quicker way because I'm open to learning. They're teaching me something. I'm demonstrating that I now can do that skill. And they're like, oh, he's going to be, he's, he's okay. He's willing to take my insights and learn and not recreate the wheel. And there was so much benefit to having a culture where it's not always you as the manager who's teaching. Let the experts be the expert. So today in talking about intent, uh, the reason that it's so specific and so important is you need to know who you are, what kind of manager you want to be. We talked last week and tying it into this week about learning who they are and what their intent in their own future is. Intent is not a finite moment of you being a leader and them being the person who has to listen to you. That intent uh, in this sense of connected leadership is what can I give you in order for you to be engaged and develop and feel growth? Because as humans, we are wired for connection, we are wired to grow, and if we aren't growing, we get bored, we get stagnant, we get burned out. That intent lays the groundwork for relationship trust, how they will see you, your consistency, and how you're going to respond. Thank mm-hmm. you.